you know, that's just the nature of our democracy. We don't agree on everything, but the hope is that we'll build from the unity that was born out of this crisis. And the next steps might not be unanimous, but maybe they can be consensus. Hi, this is Peter Thork, and you're listening to Unscheduled Maintenance. We're glad you've been able to join us over the past several months as we've discussed what is going on across the automotive industry with a variety of guests from all corners of the business. While we've seen a fantastic turnaround begin over the past few weeks, a lot of uncertainty remains, especially as the financial programs rolled out by Congress to help stabilize the economy run their course. So for this program, we wanted to go straight to the source and find out what we might expect from Washington in the coming months. Joining us to examine that is Representative Dan Kildee from Michigan's 5th Congressional District. And to lead the conversation, we've brought in the big guns. Car CEO Alex Vetter kicked off this program back in April, and he returns today to discuss with Congressman Kildee how things are shaping up in Detroit as well as on Capitol Hill. Congressman, I know you were kind to invite me uh, to the Zoom call we had a few weeks ago to talk about this topic, but I'd like to raise it here again. As you know, we believe that a stimulus package for the auto industry would really help move the industry forward in a big way. But I also know that there's broader things happening in D.C. right now. And, and could you just walk us through where things are today with the HEROES package and what you're hearing regarding Senate timing? And, and what do you see in the coming months as we pivot from stabilization to stimulus? Sure. Well, you know, I think so far, you know, with obvious exceptions, but so far it's kind of remarkable that we've been able to do what we've done in a bipartisan fashion. I mean, if six months ago somebody would have said we're going to have this crisis completely unexpected in many ways, but that we would respond in a bipartisan fashion, that we would come together, the House and the Senate, Democrats and Republicans, and the White House, given all we've been through and pass uh, legislation to intervene in the economy, to try to stabilize things, and commit uh, more than $2 trillion of resources toward that end. I would have thought you were nuts if you had told me we could get that done, but we were able to. It says something about, I guess, our muscle memory. When our backs are against the wall, we can still come together in this country. Next steps are gonna be harder. I don't think there's any question. The bipartisanship that brought us to this moment was born largely out of absolute necessity. We knew we needed to act to stabilize large industry, largely using the tax code and other incentives to support small business through the Paycheck Protection Program, um, to support individuals, both through direct payments and through expanded unemployment, uh, to support hospitals. We've done all of this um, in a remarkably unified way. But as we get to the next set of steps, it does get more difficult. The HEROES Act, um, which passed the House uh, on largely partisan lines, although we didn't have a uh, Republican supporter, is I think our volley, our next step that we think ought to take, um, that the Congress ought to take. Where the Senate goes with that, I think, is still up for discussion. But it does seem recently that there's more agreement coming forward, um, specifically around state and local government, where we know because of income tax, sales tax, and gasoline taxes, for that matter, states especially, but local governments have really been hit hard. So that that's likely to be the basis of the next step. Um, hopefully that takes place uh, sometime 
in June, if not in early July. The other pieces, I think, are going to be a little more difficult. But I think, you know, it's just the nature of our of our of our democracy. We don't agree on everything, uh, but the hope is that we'll build from the unity that was born out of this crisis. And the next steps might not be unanimous, but maybe they can be consensus. Yeah, I think, uh, well, first of all, it's been incredible at how brisk, briskly everything has moved and certainly your actions along with your peers, uh, the work there has been admirable. I think um, we believe obviously we're seeing a lot of pent up demand from consumers for vehicle purchase and, and, and shopping for cars. We see it vividly in our site traffic. Um, you know, and people are actively in the market looking to buy today. But the research behind that pent-up um, and increased demand is that consumers are fearful about safety, um, specifically safety using public transportation or ride-sharing services. And this is, I think, going to be a lasting implication of COVID. Um, in fact, the CDC recently released a report around this as well that encourages private vehicle use over public transportation and ride sharing and, and suggested that employers offer incentives for employees to drive to work. And as Americans' concerns grow with regards to personal safety regarding public transit or ride sharing, is that something that the Congress has thought about or plans to take into account as relief packages are created? I think so. I mean, I think one of the things that um, I think is inevitable with this crisis is that it will have an effect on on human behavior. Um, you know, we are not all just elements of the economy with a sort of su- uh, supply demand equation associated with us. We do other things too. We act to protect ourselves. I mean, you made the point about people making individual choices about how they get to work. I'll use myself as an example. I now drive to work. The difference between me and a lot of the folks uh, that, that work right here in my hometown of Flint is that when I drive to work, it's a 585-mile drive. But I've been doing it regularly now to get to Washington because, as a human being, I'm doing the things that I think I have to do to protect myself. Now, there will be a time in the not-too-distant future when I get back to flying. But for now, I'm going to do everything I can uh, first of all, I like to drive. I, I would drive to Europe if there was a road that would get me there. But setting that aside, it's a rational choice that I've made. It adds a little bit of time to my trip, but it brings me more security. So, yes, human behavior is going to be dictated by the conditions. Um, I think there will be a movement toward purchases. I, I, you know, This is all anecdote. The plural of anecdote is not data. But anecdotally, I know of people... Uh, both here in Michigan and a friend of mine who lives in Los Angeles who uh, swore uh, that she would never buy a car, and she just bought one. She just decided, look, I've got to do what I have to do. Um, you know, it'll change over time, but hopefully that change will uh, occur, uh, and, and in the meantime, we'll be able to do what we need to do to, um, to create some more demand in the marketplace um, because I think it's, obviously, I think the auto sector is so fundamentally important to, the, to our economy. Um, we, we certainly stand with you in this regard. We think this is a lasting opportunity for the government to realize that the car is the safest form of transportation. And, and if we're going to get the American workers back 
doing their jobs. We've got to provide them the support they need to be able to, to work responsibly. Um, Congressman, I know the auto supply chain has also been greatly affected by factories being closed for months and, and slowing production cycles. I know uh, sales pricing has held uh, held up in this environment, but inventory is certainly running short. Uh, many dealers that we're speaking with are being greatly impacted by low new car inventory volumes in particular. And is there anything the government can do to help improve the supply chain side to meet the demand that both consumers and dealers have today? Well, I think there are a few things. One, I think fundamental to a functioning business um, is liquidity, access to capital. Um, certainly within the supply chain, uh, and this is true across the economy, but when we start looking, especially at supply chain, um, you know, some operate on relatively thin margins, being direct suppliers to the OEMs. Um, you know, we often, as I'm sure you know, will get complaints about the pace and speed of timing of payments. Um, one thing we can do, and we've been working uh, directly with the Fed and in the banking sector, is to make sure that there's plenty of liquidity, that there's capital in the market that allows uh, the kind of investment with cheap dollars to make sure that we're, we're meeting the demands um, of the economy and that we don't have the lack of access to capital as an impediment. Um, we're going to have to be a little bit patient as we stand this economy back up again. It doesn't just turn on like a light switch. And one of the ways to buy some time and patience is to make sure that there's adequate um, liquidity. That's one, I think, really important function that the government generally is a, in a better position to um, provide. The last several months have forced the hands of many dealers and OEMs alike to explore more efficient marketing tactics. Meanwhile, consumers are looking for both frictionless buying options and businesses that can make them feel safe in our new normal. These factors have led to in-market video getting a lot of well-deserved attention in our industry. Cars Fuel Solution leverages data-driven targeting to reach true in-market consumers wherever they're consuming video, whether it's on social, OTT, or other online video platforms. No matter where these in-market consumers are, you can spread the word to them about not only your current incentives, but what steps your brand is taking to enable safe shopping. Speak to your cars.com representative today to learn more about in-market video or visit fuel.cars to see how being an early adopter can help you transform your marketing strategy. Well, um, certainly at, at cars, we see this continued demand. And I know back home in Michigan, by the way, your constituents seem to be doing well as, as the state reopens. And, you know, what can you tell us about what's happening locally in Flint, an idea of how the plants are doing during the reopening? And I know you're such a key employer. I'd love to know what you're seeing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're, we're pretty proud of our auto, um, our auto legacy. Uh, if I turn my neck and really crank it, I can see the building where General Motors was founded. It was created right here in Flint, uh, September 16, 1908. Uh, but who's counting, right? 
I mean, I say that to say we're really proud of that. We're proud that we're an auto community. We don't have quite the presence that we had, you know, when I was growing up because manufacturing has changed so dramatically, globalization, technology, et cetera. But it's still a really strong part. Uh, it's the strongest aspect of our economy. Um, and, you know, it's been a deliberate process of standing these companies back up again, taking the necessary steps to make sure that people are protected in the workplace, redesigning some of the systems. Obviously, with material management and manufacturing where people work in proximity to one another, having adequate uh, access to personal protective equipment was a very big piece of this. Changing some of the work processes, for example, not having overlapping or contiguous shift change, but having some spacing between shifts. A lot of the things that, you know, that typically work against efficiency in this environment actually improve efficiency because it makes people feel more comfortable being at work and they're able to do it. Now, that's not to say there aren't going to be problems. Um, we've encouraged the companies to work very closely uh, with UAW to make sure that they come to an understanding. And, and I know that the state of Michigan just offered some guidance that would allow a person who is at additional risk to opt out of the workplace until we get through the, the tough parts of this. But so I think it's been a, a generally a responsible approach that's been taken. It's not ideal, um, but it's so important to our economy um, in the long term, uh, in the midterm. We've got to get our economy back up and running. We, you know, the government has its role, but we can't um, be in a position where we don't have a functioning economy. There are too many negative consequences to that. I certainly agree that technology is a, a key enabler here. I know personally, I used our website. I bought a car for my wife on Mother's Day. And uh, the Napleton dealership here in Chicago completely did the transaction with me virtually, showed up in protective equipment, wiped everything down. We signed the paperwork in the driveway with separate pens. And, and the whole thing took less than 40 minutes. And so technology is changing the way we're working as an industry. And, and it's it's great to hear that things are moving yeah. again back home. Um, Congressman, one, one more question. I know uh, it's certainly a surreal time in our nation right now, um, coming out of COVID and now dealing with the harsh realities of where we are as a nation regarding race relations and, and diversity. As you're aware, a very small percentage of dealerships are minority owned and, and the numbers in black um, owned and women owned dealerships are very low. Um, and, and so at CARS, we're reflecting on what we can do to play a role here to create a more diverse industry. And I just ask, are there any plans or priorities, even within the HEROES Act, that specifically help minority-owned dealerships? And is this one of your legislative priorities this year? And, and what other priorities do you have that you'd like to share with our audience? It's a really good question, and it's an important one, uh, because an economy that's not inclusive brings with it a lot of difficulty. And we need to make sure that as we stand up these programs, that we're making sure to use the moment to bring more previously disadvantaged businesses into the economy in a more robust way. In terms of the HEROES Act, yes, we did specifically carve out some of the dollars through the expansion of the Paycheck Protection Program to make sure that we have local community development financial institutions um, at the fore with specific dollars set aside to serve uh, minority-owned, women-owned, disadvantaged businesses. My view, though, has been as good as that program has been, and I don't mean to diminish its value at all. I've been witnessing the fact that some smaller companies 
which would include potentially smaller dealerships, didn't even fit the PPP model quite precisely. And so um, in a bipartisan fashion with um, Senator Cory Booker and Senator Steve Daines, a Democrat and a Republican on the Senate side, myself, um, and, and Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick, Congressman Fred Upton, um, Congressman Dwight Evans, we put up legislation that would fund locally managed small business, sort of Main Street relief funds that would more quickly and efficiently get some immediate support to those businesses that are really on the bubble that may or may not quite fit the precise definition of the Paycheck Protection Program. Maybe it's because a significant part of their costs are not all embedded in employee costs. The Paycheck Protection Program now requires 60% of the costs that are subject to loan forgiveness to be employee costs. If there's a way for us to just create one more tool in the toolbox that does focus on especially minority-owned business, women-owned businesses, veteran-owned business, the long-term payback of keeping those companies in a position to survive this short-term economic crisis, the payback to us as a society is really strong. So that's, that's what's driving our thinking on that. Fantastic. And, and I really want to appreciate your leadership there. Certainly, Congressman, look, I, I just want to say in closing, here to support you your efforts, and certainly send our regards to all the folks back in Michigan, particularly those in the auto industry. You know I'm committed and we're committed to help supporting an auto stimulus package. We think it's the safest way forward to keep America rolling. And and, uh, just know that you can count on us for anything you need. And we just can't thank you enough for joining us here today. I really appreciate that. You know, as, as, you, as you mentioned to me, the auto sector is really important. I think it's important that we see around the corner, make sure that we know where the industry is going. It's one of the reasons I'm promoting um, incentives for, um, for electric vehicles. I think ultimately that's going to be a big market for us. Uh, I'm a hockey player. I, I believe in the theory of not chasing the puck, but going where the puck is. And uh, I think the economy is going to take us into some really new innovative spaces and the American auto sector needs to be front and center with that. So uh, I appreciate all the work you do in, uh, in helping to tell our story, the story of my hometown. So uh, thank you. Congressman, fantastic. Uh, I want to wrap by just saying thank you to you for joining us here today. And in particular, all the people in Michigan and in your home uh, district, you know, we're pulling for everybody, particularly through this, but particularly those in the auto industry. And and you know you've got my support, our support to help on any stimulus package aimed at the auto industry. We, we know that will really help keep America safe and rolling. And, and with that, I guess I'd ask, is there anything you'd like to, to leave our listeners with and, and any parting thoughts? Well, first, thanks for helping tell our story. That means a lot to me coming from an auto community. But, you know, our, our history is one that is really built on innovation, continually innovating to meet customer needs and to help imagine what the customers might be looking for in the future. And so I think what we need to do in Congress as a, as a government is to continue to support that innovation, incentivize that kind of innovation, and see around the corner. It's one of the reasons that I'm a supporter of incentives for the production and sale of electric vehicles, just as an example. It's only one example, but it's an important one. If we know where the economy is going, if we can help meet the market and not wait and only respond and lead, and really lead, then I think the American auto sector can continue to drive our economy, literally and figuratively. So that's what I'm hoping we do. And as people talk to policymakers, encourage them 
to take the steps that are necessary to allow us to continue to innovate and lead in the auto sector. Um, we make the best vehicles on the planet. We ought to continue to do that. Congressman Kildee, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for spending time with our dealers and the auto industry in general on, on our unscheduled maintenance podcast. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you very much. Thanks to Alex for jumping back on the program today. He has been working tirelessly to shepherd cars and all of our valued partners through these historic times. And we appreciate not only the work he's done behind the scenes to drive progress in Washington, but also here on this show, getting the word out to everyone. Next week, join us as we're joined by our cars data guru, David Green, as we try to use what he's seeing now to figure out what we might see for the rest of 2020. I'm Peter Stork. Thanks again for listening and tune in again next week for another new episode of Unscheduled Maintenance.